Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Encounter Church. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm excited to continue a series that we started actually two weeks ago called Voices. Last week, if you were here with us, we had a guest speaker um, named uh, Andy Stanley that uh, we brought in a unique message in between the first week of this series and this week. Hope that you enjoyed last week. Um, It was a recording from a pastor, Andy Stanley, that he didn't even know he spoke at Encounter Church last week, or maybe he did, but um, we hope that you enjoyed that message. It was very impactful in both Chris, uh, our lead pastor, in his life and also in mine. So I hope that you were encouraged last week. We're excited to continue the series today. Uh, Again, my name is Jason, a pastor on staff. Even though some of you don't recognize me today, I've heard that a couple of times since I have these glasses on. I was actually told I look smart. I said, Joseph, thank you. He said, you actually look smart. I don't know, maybe that's a little exaggeration. He didn't say actually, but that's the way I felt. I said, maybe I should wear them on Monday. So this is the effort I'm kind of going for. But no, they they actually help. I'm one of those people that said I didn't need glasses for years. I'm sure that some of you relate to this. And then I I put on a pair of glasses one time. I'm like, I can read that across the room. That's unbelievable, right? And so, again, excited that you're here. If you're here for the first time, as Chris said just a few moments ago, There's a way that you can engage and follow along um, both the scripture that I read today um, as well as an area that you can actually take notes um, is right in the app. And so if you haven't downloaded that, take some time to do that. I won't think that you're texting. I'll think that you're, of course, downloading the app and looking up the Bible verse we're going to read today, encounterchurch.com forward slash app. And uh, you can engage with us that way. Another way, as Chris mentioned, um, we have the privilege and the joy to connect with people by praying. And, and I'm telling you, those of you that have taken the time in the past to just say, hey, I'm struggling, it comes to our staff, and in confidence, we just spend time praying. And it's a way that we can connect with people. It's a way that we can understand what people are going through and just know what people are going through. And so let us know how we can help you. Um, there are other ways that you'll hear in the future, how, ways that you can engage by signing up for different things, knowing what's going on in the life of our church. So. So today, um, we're continuing our our series called Voices, and some of you probably like a lot of noise, and some of you, by the listening of that video that you just saw, all the voices, all the noise coming from every corner, you're like, please stop the madness, right? This is just too much. And I've spoken with people in the past to say, if I hear like two things at the same time, I don't hear anything. Anything? Anyone like that? You need focus? Some of you can't focus without noise, right? And I remember growing up and playing music in my room and the boombox days. Those are back. Don't get me off subject. Anybody? Have, have you been seeing like, teenagers holding a boombox on your shoulder? I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I was like, I, I did that. That was like 20 years ago. And, and I hear everything comes back, right? And so bell bottoms are coming next you know, or something. I don't know. For those of you that don't know bell bottoms, th- you're welcome. You can Google and probably find something on Amazon and order bell-bottom pants. But I remember those days. They're coming back. And you're going to remember this moment. When they come back in like three months, you're like, Jason said it. It's like a prophet. Anyways, that's not, nothing to do with today. That's not in my notes at all. But boomboxes are back, right? I used to like listening to music because I like a lot of noise, right? And so sometimes the noise is good and sometimes the noise is not so good. But voices, we all hear them. And sometimes there are things that we hear from other people, and sometimes they're just things that we actually say to ourselves. And this one today is, is tough, because I think all of us in different ways can connect with the voice that we will often say to ourselves when we say this, I'm alone. I'm alone. It's really the idea of loneliness. 
And loneliness is not actually a word that I hear people say very often. In fact, as a pastor, again, one of the great opportunities and privileges that I have and our other staff have to connect with people that are hurting and offer encouragement and offer hope and point them to a God who loves them. I don't often hear someone articulate very clearly, I'm lonely. It doesn't sound like that. Maybe you've said, I'm alone, or I'm lonely in the past week, but there's a pretty good chance you didn't. But it sounds like different things, right? And sometimes it creates an idea of isolation and an idea and the emotion of fear. But it looks and sounds so different in so many ways. In fact, it's present in children, it's present in infants, all the way to the elderly. So from infants to the elderly, we all know what it's like and what it feels like to be lonely. It's kind of, kind of a cute thing, too, when you're even looking at a baby that's on his back playing, right? And you go up to the baby, and as soon as they see you, what do they do? Some of you, they might cry, but for the most part, what do they do? If you have a beard or something, some children are just always afraid of men with beards. Or, and I actually heard recently someone just said, no, my, my kid only likes men with beards. I'm like, that's not good. That's really not a good thing. You've got you to work on that, you know? Um, so, like, you see a baby, what do they do? They smile. You walk away from the baby, what happens to the smile? We all desire connection. In fact, one researcher actually says that the idea of loneliness is too narrow. It's actually social anxiety. And all of us connect with that. Some of you are like, I'm not lonely. I don't like people. Anybody? Anybody's like, listen, I know this. Listen, I, I disconnected from this sermon because I ain't lonely. I don't like people. I don't like noise. And in fact, when I have no social connection, I am most happy, right? I saw some hands raised just a few moments ago and some smiles. You're like, I don't like people from infant to elderly, except for me, right? I don't struggle with this. And some people, I know that's their personality. You can say that would be more of an introverted personality, though that's not always the case. Some introverts like people. They just don't like a lot of them. They like the idea of having a coffee with one person over a party, right? If you're me, I'm like, hey, nice coffee. Where's the party, right? What's your name? Let me tell you my name. They're like, I don't care, right? And so there's different personalities and different um, spectrums. But the idea of loneliness is not something I hear articulated very often at all. And it, sometimes it is articulated, but most of the time it sounds very different. But the social anxiety is something we all experience, right? You get into a room and you realize that no one's speaking to you. And it bothers you. Loneliness. Even though you wouldn't say, I'm not lonely, I have people that love me, but I don't connect here. I've heard it, unfortunately, in churches. Encounter Church is a great church. It's close to perfect, but she's not perfect, right? You can walk into a room of people today, even at churches or at a club or at a golf course, at a restaurant, and say, no one, no one sees me. If you're a student, you can walk into a classroom and go, does anyone know I'm here, right? And sometimes you think, I hope no one knows that I'm here, right? It's the idea of social anxiety, either one-on-one -on -one or in a group setting or in a relationship. I see the social anxiety every night in my six-year-old Levi. And this anxiety really has a lot of funny sounds, but if, if I had a dollar for every time I walked out of the room and back into the room, I would be a wealthy man, right? I mean, it's just, he, he just, he, he becomes this incredible question asker, right, at night, and he becomes this incredibly hungry child. Every night before we go to bed, he has not eaten all day. He makes that very clear, doesn't he, honey? I didn't eat anything today. Like, we just had dinner. Well, I'm still hungry, right? 
And part of the thing that I, I've realized, even with Levi, is that when I walk out of the room, I think I know why he's asking me all the questions. He just doesn't want me to go anywhere. I don't think he even cares about the answer to my questions because some of the questions are strange. I'm like, I, I don't know why we have fingernails, Levi. You know, I, I, for, for back scratching. There's something. I mean, that's a good one. I don't know about you. But that's my like, love language is just a back scratch, right? But I'm like, I don't know why... I don't know why we don't go to Taco Bell. I don't, you know, he's just asking all these questions, right? But if, and he even told us this week, I don't want my bed anymore. I want your bed. He just wants to be with us. Part of that is, of course, the child fears, you know. He's like, I don't leave my room anymore. Like, Levi, you've been sleeping here for years, right? You all of a sudden just don't like it. But if I climb in the bed with him, the questions stop. I don't even have to answer any of his questions. If I spend time with him, and I'm present, questions go away. And I know it's coming. You parents can relate to this, right? I know it's coming. I put him in bed. I answer a million questions. I walk towards the door. Daddy? Yes. In fact, I go ahead and practice the turnaround. I'll do this about nine times tonight. <laughs> One night I did this, and he didn't ask a question. I'm like, Levi, do you have any questions? He's like, probably. <laughs> Let's just go, go ahead and ask him. Let's get him up now. One night, and I'm not a very good dad sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes, well, I said, Levi, go ahead and get your questions out right now, okay? Go ahead, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm willing and patient, and just go ahead and ask all the questions, right? I saw this on uh, Instagram, I think uh, via Facebook, but this is an Instagram uh, picture this past week. Check this out, we'll put it on the screen. This is it, this sums it up. I'm like, oh my goodness, all the moms were commenting on this, and then me. At bedtime, my children turn into dehydrated philosophers who need a hug. Isn't that it, right? I mean, that's it. And listen, I am happy about this most of the time, but sadly I can say I don't value that time as much as even probably I should, you know? I just look back and, and think of some of the moments, I'm like, okay, stop asking questions. But what Levi wants is what I want. It's connection, it's relationship, it's comfort, and it's security. And many people don't have it. They desire it. They want it. And see, sometimes even people think that they might have it. Maybe they find out through a broken relationship and through a struggle that they don't. But from infants to elderly, whether it be an infant that just desires to see a smiling face they don't know, or an elderly who's sitting in a home who's distant from their family, or someone in between who on the outside you might think has a, a great family, lots of children, all busy all the time, and that's a good kind of busy, having good relationships at workplace, even people that have all the so-called connections and relationships in the world will often internally feel lonely, and it's a tough voice to deal with, and the voice sounds more like these things than anything else. Number one, I have no friends. Have you ever said that? I don't feel like I have any friends, and if someone else heard you, they'd be like, you're crazy. I've seen your Facebook page, like, those aren't friends. Those are just people who read my thoughts, right? But even people that have friends, and people look at you and say, you're crazy, you have friends, what about so-and-so, what about so-and-so, what about so-and-so? Sometime in your life, you've probably thought that. I have no friends. What that's really translated, though I can't put words in your mouth, often what that means is I desire a deeper connection than I currently have. Even folks that are in tough situations that have committed suicide, and people have looked back on their letters, and, and people look at someone else, and maybe there's a good possibility you've had someone close in your life that's taken their own life, and they're 
their isolated thoughts or there's no one that loves me. And on the next chapter of that, everyone's on the outside going, are you crazy? There's so many people who love you, right? Even though we have relationships, we have connectivity, so many of us feel like we don't. I have no friends. Another one that this often sounds like is that no one likes me. While this is not spoken out loud as much in um, adults as it is in children, it's true a lot. You walk into a room, and you don't say no one likes me, but you, you could say, does anyone like me? More often found in children, I've heard my children say this, I'm like, of course they do, right? But that social anxiety, that social pressure, that's super difficult to navigate. And the voice that you hear, that no one understands me. And that's, that's the next one. You ever been a place in your life and you say, no one understands me? As a pastor, I'm super sensitive to this because I've seen some pretty mad uh, people it, when they begin to describe. People act like they know what I'm going through, but no one does. You ever connected with that? When you begin to describe it and, and, and after hearing about your problem, they start talking about what? They start talking about theirs. You're like, I ain't talking about you. I'm talking about me. And so I'm guilty of that because we want connectivity. You tell me a story about, about your, how big you know, the fish you caught last weekend was, and I'm like, I got, I got my story. You know, so was, oh, how many inches? Oh, that's too bad, 15. Mine was 30, right? We, we, we desire, it's not that I want to one-up you, it's that I want to connect. And even trying to connect with people on problems, people don't get them. They're like, no, 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 I'm not talking about that. And it's true. This is a true statement. People do not understand what you're going through. They don't. And sometimes when I get a prayer request or I get an email or a phone call or face-to-face meetings, I've had this past week, the best response I can have is, I'm sorry. I know that's tough. I've already said it this morning to someone. That's tough. And I don't understand what you're going through. That's, that's really tough, right? Sometimes that's the best connection. But because of the problems, because of the anxiety, because of the difficulty, we start having these voices. It's no one understands me. No one likes me. No one, no one, um, no one desires me, right? And then we, we begin to find ourselves in isolation. And the feeling of loneliness, the feeling of the social anxiety leads to the isolation, and depression. But Jesus offers a promise in the Scripture. And the promise is one for many that's hard to believe. It's not because he was not believable, but it's because this promise is actually difficult for many to experience, not believe. There are things that you believe that you've never experienced. And there are experiences that you have that actually validate the belief. And this is this idea that God is present. In fact, at Christmas, you may have heard this message if you attend a church around Christmas time. Um, this name of God, he has many names that's described throughout the Bible, but one of the names of God, so one of his identity features about who he is, is the name Emmanuel. Funny story. I was in seminary, and I remember this Hebrew teacher talking about Emmanuel. There's a particular spelling that Chris, because he studied Hebrew, other pastor, he studied Hebrew, he could tell you a little bit better. There's a way that, that to spell in the Hebrew, the way it's transliterated to English is Emmanuel and Emmanuel. One says God is with us, and the other says God is not with us. And so this guy, he's telling this story, playing church softball, and it's a holy experience in and of itself, right? Playing church softball, he shows up, and the team that they were playing had Emmanuel spelled wrong on their shirt. So this is a church with God not with us on their shirt. 
and he just did not have it in him to tell them. Your church actually says God's not with you, right? But there's this idea, even we talk about it at Christmas, that Emmanuel, that God is with us. Well, that comes from teachings and stories all throughout the scripture where God makes a promise that he's present, right? And I can't make that promise the way that God made that promise to leave. I went out and read the room because I'm leaving, right? And I even tell him that, I even tell him this promise, remember this promise that God is with us. And he's like, where? He ain't with me, right? You're about to leave, right? And you can say these nice things that sound good. Daddy's always with you. Daddy will always, not really, right? Like my thoughts are with you, but that doesn't help my six-year-old. There's this idea, this promise that God is present. In fact, Jesus reiterated the promise just after he went to heaven. The Bible records the story in the life of Jesus that he died on the cross. And the reason he did that was to be a sacrifice for our sins. And he died on the cross in order to rise again from the dead. Three, the Bible says three days later that he rose again from the dead. But between the time he rose again from the dead to offer the forgiveness of sin to anyone that would believe in him, between the time that he rose from the dead and went to heaven was a period of about a month. And there are stories that are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are also stories that did not make kind of the, the scripture, but many stories in first century literature about Jesus appearing and talking and validating his existence, and validating the fact that he rose again from the dead. One of the very final things that Jesus says is a promise, that he was going to be with them. Now, if you think about this context, that Jesus' ministry, his public ministry, though he was a little bit more than 30 years old when he died, his public ministry was only three years long. So from the time he started teaching, preaching, healing, traveling, telling people about who he was, three years, three years long. So from that time, from the time he started his ministry to death, was not always fun. It was very difficult. It was full of persecution, full of challenges. In fact, the disciples were often scared for their life. They tried often to protect Jesus because people were after him, because they did not like the fact that Jesus, a man walking the earth, was claiming to be God himself. So they had a tough life. This wasn't all fun and games. They experienced what we would say the best of times, and they experienced the worst of times. In fact, when Jesus sent them out to go um, do his ministry without him for the first time, you can imagine, it's recorded in the scripture, they were scared. They were scared. When Jesus died, they were so scared that even one of the disciples denied that he believed. Why? He was afraid for his life. So this is not a very fun time for the disciples, but they knew it was worth it because they loved him. So Jesus, just before he went into heaven, he made a promise. And I'm going to read a few verses. Only one of the verses will be on the screen, but the few verses before, the one that will be on the screen says this, the 11 disciples, and there were 12 that were uh, mentioned in scripture. One of them named Judas was no longer with them because he uh, betrayed Jesus and he took his own life. So 11 of the 12 disciples appeared before him and the Bible says that they went to the mountain which Jesus had told them, so a private place. When they saw him, some worshipped him, but some doubted. Imagine that. Jesus said what he was going to do. And then he appears before them, and they still, some of them don't believe. Some of them worshipped him. You would too, man, claiming to be God that you loved, that you followed, you believed that he was God. He rose again from the dead, and you see him. And they begin to worship him, saying, this is God. He's, we believed him, but now we even more so believe him. There he is. And that some of them doubted. Verse 18 says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, 
Therefore, make disciples of all nations. Now, at this point, Jesus had sent them around to, to Dedham. He'd sent them to Foxborough. He sent them into Boston. He sent them to, um, to different communities, right, telling about himself. Now he says, you're going to all the nations, all the nations. You're going to go into all the world and do what I have been doing. Go, therefore, into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded. Now, Jesus says, I've told you a lot. I've taught you about myself. Now, I want you to take this message. You're going to continue the ministry. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Now, you can imagine, who held the authority in this relationship? The teacher, the rabbi. They often would call him rabbi, teacher. He was the one with the authority, not just the teaching authority, but the power of God authority. And yet Jesus looks to the disciples and says, all of this authority, all of this, literally, even in the Greek terminology, I believe the root of that, it's a unique word that exousia literally means power. The power has been given to you. But I'm leaving. You can imagine the doubt that continue. Whoa, Jesus, whoa, Jesus, what if? In fact, other portions of Scripture have those what if moments. What about, what if, you can imagine the fear of Jesus telling them, and then he makes this promise, and this will be on the screen, and he makes this promise in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 28, and surely I am, what does it say? With you. Now, how often is Jesus with us? He says, always to the very end of the age. Surely I am with you even to the very end of the age. This is a promise that we find all throughout the Bible. Some would argue, and I think some of you may even say this today, that this, I, I, I can believe that, but have I experienced it? Others of you in this room may today say, I, oh, I believe it and I've experienced it. I've experienced that God is with me. I thought about a good bit this week, even uh, Friday afternoon as I reflected and just kind of joked, but also got kind of serious in my heart about, about Levi and about his needs. He loves for me to be with him, right? He wants, he asks me every night, begs me every night, will you, will you stay with me? Will you sleep with me? I know that's based in fear. He sees me in the morning, right? I hope that continues for years and years and years, but so far I'm there every morning, right, when he wakes up and he sees me. And so, but I can't promise my presence with him, right, I, because I leave. And the idea of a God being present is hard for some of us to understand because we've never truly experienced it. But the disciples experienced it. Why? Because Jesus was right in front of them. And he said, I'm with you. And they're like, hold up, Jesus. No, you're leaving. Like, how are you with us if you're leaving? And then it's recorded in one of the next books of the Bible in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 1, that Jesus makes a promise. And this is the idea of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some of you may have, you've heard this in prayers. Some of you have prayed prayers like this, right? It's the idea of the Trinity, that there's not three gods, there's one God. We believe Christianity in, in, in the, the presence of one holy being with three distinct persons and three distinct roles, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Well, the Son was right there with them face to face. But Jesus says, even though I am going, I am giving you my Spirit. And this Spirit, here's the promise, church. Listen, here's the promise. That the Spirit of God 
can live inside of people. The Spirit of God can live inside of people. And the reason I say can instead of does live inside of people is because this Spirit of God is a promise to all who would believe. Now here Jesus in front of 11 disciples and followers that believed. And he said, I promise that my Spirit is with you and it will be with you. Today, I want you to know that you can live and you can walk in faith in God, believing if you have a relationship with Christ, that His Spirit can live inside of you and it can fulfill all of the unfulfilled things in your life. He can be the presence that you need. He can be the one that calms the fears. God can be the one that gives you satisfaction where you do not have it. And Jesus says to them in this context, when you go and I'm not there, my spirit will be inside of you. In fact, it's not just like, oh, that's good. I know God's probably around somewhere. No, no, no. This is the power and the authority of God inside of hearts. It's hard for people to believe often those that have not experienced God or have faith in God or those that might not have any form of relationship or might not even attend church. The idea that God is in, present in people's lives is not so far-fetched, but the experience of that is. But yet the disciples already had a taste of it. Some of you could stand up here today, maybe tell a story, right? And you could connect and say, man, I remember this time in my life. I just knew that God was with me. He gave me strength. He gave me hope. I was, I'm able to move on, right? And others of you could say, I don't, I, okay, I believe it, but I really want to experience it. This idea is, is hard for many people to understand. But Paul, um, one of the early writers and leaders of the church, probably 30 to 40 years later, he wrote a statement, and he wrote this to one of the young um, disciple leaders named Timothy. So Paul writing to Timothy. And one of the things that he said to Timothy was that basically he could be more bold, that Timothy struggled with security. He was a young guy, and being a young guy in ministry, assumed that, listen, I'm young, and people are going to look down on me. I'm just a young guy who doesn't know anything. You know, and, and so Paul's the more older, experienced, wiser and yet the baton is being handed off to this young guy, though I'm still young. I consider myself still young. I can remember 15 years ago, starting in ministry, even hearing things. Some people are ticking, uh, you know, saying it out loud, very articulate, letting me know how young I was, right? And how much they had, you know, they had been teaching um, classes at church longer than I had been alive, right? And so I was a young guy being insecure like you. You start young and you're like, I know I'm, the, I'm the, new, the new kid on the block. You know, I'm the new person in the office. Right? What do I know? Well, Timothy struggled with this in ministry. And he was insecure. And Paul said something to him. This is going to be on the screen. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He says, for the Spirit of God gave us. Listen, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, this is where we'll keep this on the screen for just a few moments. This is where you could say, okay, if I believe in the Spirit of God and I trust that He's real and I want to experience Him, how do I do that? Well, Paul tells Timothy, this Spirit of God that's with us can give us power. And it not only gives us power, but it gives us security. He says it, it gives us love. Because you know when you feel loved, you feel safe. 
If I climb in that little tiny bed that Levi has, right, and it, it's squeaking, I think it's going to break. And if I wrap my arms around him, the questions stop. He breathes a little deeper, and he feels loved, and he feels secure. But the next one, it says it gives us self-discipline. This is the idea of self-control. And you know when all things are well, things are going right in life, things are falling into place, there's like control. And this is the idea where he says, hey, listen, he gives us the ability to be self-controlled. Power, love, and self-discipline. This is what the Spirit of God does in people. But still some can say, okay, but how? I've never experienced that. How do I, how do, I do that? How do I get there? The three things I want to leave with you today are going to be a challenge for you. And what that looks like, I'd love to engage with you on that and help you even further. I'd love even in the weeks to come to talk about these more. What does it look like? But there are some things that we have to do to establish connection, to establish and address loneliness and social anxiety. The problems, even in the room, present in our lives are very unique and they're very different. I don't have an answer for you today because I don't know exactly where you are. The needs that I have socially are very different than you. If you followed me along in my social, I would cause social anxiety for you, right? You're like, hey, let me introduce you to, like, hey, listen, I don't want to meet another human, right? Take me home, right? And so all of our social anxieties, all of our isolation, those feelings, those needs that you have internally, they're all different. So I can't oversimplify this and give you the three steps to address it to not feeling isolated, to feeling like there's worth, to feeling like there's purpose, and to feeling all your needs and your relationships. And I want to give you three things that you can do that I truly believe will help you. And here's the first one. Pursue his promise. What was the promise again? I am what? I am with you. Say it out loud. I am with you. If that's the promise and you say you believe it, I want you to pursue that this week. And you know what pursuing it sounds like? It sounds like a prayer when you're driving down the road and you say, okay, God, I believe you, that you're with me. You know what a prayer does? You know what, you know what prayer is? It's just pursuing God. Tell him this week that you believe him. Thank him this week for saying, God, I believe that you're present and I'm thankful that you are. If you feel like God is distant, tell him that. Pursue him. This is crazy Bible verse that wrecked me. I would say even before I fully gave my life to Jesus, I read this verse when I was in high school, and I thought, wow, that's interesting. And it really still blows my mind as a minister, as someone who's went to school and studied the Bible for a long time. But I was in, in high school. This verse in James chapter 4 says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Now listen, if, if, is it possible for you today to say, I've never experienced God, and I might not ever. It's possible for me to go, that might be true for you. You might not ever experience God. That's scary, a scary thought to me, yes? And you're like, I don't want that to be me. Some of you say, I, don't, I want to experience God. Well, the Bible says if. Now, if is scary because you have a choice. There are people today that are not in church, yes? The vast majority of people, right? I mean, taking care of the lawn, doing something else, right? But you have put yourself in a position to hear a truth from God. You have put yourself in a position to draw near to Him. And so there are choices that you make. If you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. That's an incredible promise that God is worth pursuing because of he, the way that He responds to you. If you pursue Him, He can be found. Even Jesus teaches 
he says this, if you knock, the door will be opened. Now, is it possible that God intervenes in people's lives when they don't, in, when they don't knock? You better believe it. I've heard stories. Some of you have stories. I have my own where God just kind of interrupts and gets people's attention. Can he do that? Absolutely. I read stories throughout the scripture where God steps in when people aren't knocking, right? And gets people's attention. Does he do that all the time? He doesn't. And I don't know why. I can't reason about your life and your situation. Like, I'd love for God to knock. And others of you are like, no, that would scare me, right? Okay, just figure of speech, right? I'd love for God to show up in my life. Some people have never experienced that. Here's your step. Pursue him. Just pursue him. Say a prayer. Write out a prayer. And here's another step you could do. Just come to church, right? And that's what you're doing. I'm, I'm stating that, right? I'm saying you're coming to church already. Just keep doing that. You put yourself in a position to say, all right, God, I believe that you're present. Will you show up more in my life? The number two thing I want you to think about today, and I want you to think about what this looks like for you, is pursuing community. Pursuing community. Because I went from talking about social like people, humans that are walking around, right, to talking about God being present, a little bit of a disconnect, right? Even in the message, I thought, ah, I don't know, maybe this is two different messages. Like, no, I did this on purpose, right? We have this social need, the social anxiety, the social desires, and then there's this promise that God gives to those that feel lonely, and then God, the, the promise that he gives to, to the brokenhearted. I even struggled choosing a scripture today because the Bible is full of these promises of his presence, I almost went to the Psalms because the Psalms in the book, in the Bible, they are full of God showing up in, 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 in King David's life and in others of, of making himself known in people's lives. The Bible is full of it. But we have a responsibility, don't we? We have a responsibility in that we can't sit at home and complain that we have no friends, right? In social environments, you have a responsibility, right? And I'll just say this for any social environment. If you go to school, the conversation, even if I talk to one of my sons, I don't have any friends. You know, he said he was dealing with some social things in second grade a couple of years ago. And I said, listen, make new friends. How do you introduce yourself? When some of you don't like humans, I know it's hard for you. How do you introduce yourself? And how do you say, hey, you'll grab a cup of coffee? How do you at church extend your hand to someone you've never met before? I tell you, some of the best community even we have here at Encounter Church are for those that get involved and serve. There are people here that don't struggle with community. You might not know everyone in the room. In fact, some of your personalities would like to know everyone in the room. That's me, all right? For the record, you probably knew that. I'd like to know every name. It bothers me when I don't know someone. Some of you are like, how fast can I get out of here, right? Keep the lights down low back there so I can get out, you know, and that's okay, that's okay, that's okay, but you have to pursue community, it might not be someone here, but you have to pursue it, you got to take steps, and let me tell you, if you're struggling, you know what you need, you need to tell someone, because you can't be in community unless someone understands, you're following, communion, if I do this, interlocking hands, right, this is communion, someone together, if you're struggling, let someone help you, let someone help you. Tell someone, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to hear the way people are struggling. Every time, even though sometimes I have a lot of energy, sometimes I might be tired, every time someone tells me they're struggling internally, you know what I'm saying? Thank God for this moment. Because there's going to be a connection. And I'm not saying the connection to the pastor, but to somebody. 
pursuing community could be one-on-one. It could be in a group setting. Later this fall, a couple of weeks, you're going to hear some opportunities to be in relationship in what we call life groups. These are just groups of people that meet in homes together in relationships. Some of you need that. There are opportunities here at the church and opportunities beyond for you to pursue community. So it's not just pursuing God in relationship and in believing in His presence and wanting His presence, but it's also pursuing community. And the third thing is pursue selflessness. In fact, I told the band, hey, the very end of the message is selflessness. And they were like, selflessness. Okay, is that a word? Yeah, it just sounds funny, like selflessness, right? This is the, obviously the exact opposite of what we see so often in our culture. We're so much about ourselves and our own desires and our needs and our preferences. You know what that actually does? It causes isolation. It causes people to, I have no problem with this, put in their headphones, be in their own little world, you know? In fact, I learned pretty quickly, about four years ago, I jumped on one of the trains in Boston. I said, good morning. I said, you're nice. Where are you from? I'm like, what? What do you mean? Like, I'm just talking to strangers. He, he just laughed. He's like, why are you talking to people, man? You know? I'm like, okay, okay, I can't do that. I can't do that. What's wrong with you? All right, you know, so he was joking, but he really wasn't. And so you, I'm like, okay, I'll listen to my music. Anybody want to talk to me? <laughs> That's a true statement. Anyways, so we have to pursue selflessness, and that looks like you putting your desires aside and meeting other people's needs. Let me tell you, there's no greater joy than to meet someone else's needs. I remember my parents saying one day, you're growing up, oh, it's better to give than to receive. I'm like, yeah, right, give me the present, right? But as you get older, you're like, wow, there's such joy in helping and in meeting people's needs. Let me tell you, if you feel isolated and you feel alone and you feel lonely, go help somebody. You know what you're going to do? You're going to meet a need, you're going to love, and you're going to establish connection. If you put yourself in a position to do these three things, even one of these three things, you're going to take a step towards a God who loves you. You're going to take a step towards a God who pursued you. Because there's Jesus who died on the cross. And he did this for you. He died. He rose again from the dead. He showed up to the disciples and said, listen, eternity can be yours. You can live in eternity with me if you believe. And even the good news, what we say in church, the gospel, the good news of salvation is that Jesus died for you and he died for me. And the Bible says if anyone, anyone would confess that they're a sinner and believe in Jesus, they can have eternal life. If you pursue God and you believe that promise, and you pursue community and connection and take a step this weekend. Some of you don't know what that step is. We'd love to help. And then finally, if you put your own desires and your own self aside, sometimes that's what we need is not to have a better seat, but just to sit in a different one. And sometimes that's just putting ourselves aside. You will see and you will realize and you will experience there's a God who loves you. There are many practical steps you can take this week. And I applaud you for even just the one that you did today. Today, you heard a scripture from God, from the Bible. Why? Because you just chose to be a church. 
And so I applaud that. But there are many steps that you can take, even moving today, to say, you know what? I do feel lonely. I do feel isolated. I feel that social anxiety. There are needs that I have. I do feel like no one understands. I do feel like I'm alone. I do want deeper relationships. There are things that you can do with God and with other people and by helping people that will serve, not just them, but it will allow you to take a step to get closer to a God who loves you. Let's pray.